Lord, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces to the innermost being, to the heart. And I pray that your word pierces today. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. Lord, we want to be diligent to rightly divide the word of truth, and let us also have that heart of the Berean to test these things out, to see what is taught is really true. Bring to remembrance all things that you've taught us that we may go out and live this actively for you in your name. Amen. All right, Lord willing, time willing, I want to do numbers four and five tonight. Um, I really do, so I want to try to get through we can. We'll see what happens when we get to it because there's so much stuff here in Numbers chapter four and what an absolute blessing that was. Hey, Dustin. Yes, John. Who was, where's the head? Oh, Tim. Oh, yes. Thank I, Colleen, yes, texted me. Today is the last day to sign up if you want to get involved with the Right to Life Signature Ad campaign. That information is back there to the right. The problem was Colleen texted me at like 1 o'clock this afternoon. And I even said in the text, I hope I don't forget. So unless it is written down in the bulletin, I don't remember. It's nothing personal against anybody. So yes, thank you for reminding me. I thought you already had a question, John, and I was impressed. Not yet, yet. no, no. I don't got my hopes up either. Um, (laughs) Dustin, do you want to find that slide from last couple weeks and put that up there if you don't mind? This is something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks here, and we've been talking about this orderliness of the book of Numbers. Numbers does not sound exciting, but once you get into it, I think it's one of the most amazing books in the entire Bible. It's called Numbers because there's two census, one at the beginning, one at the end, where they number people. The book of Numbers goes on for about 40 years. Please remember that the books before it, you know, if you stop and think of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Leviticus and Deuteronomy only about a month long, but Numbers is close to 40 years. There's a lot of history in this book. So when you see the numbering of these people and you see these laws, you stop and say, this is just really dry. What difference does it make? I mean, we've only learned about where they're supposed to camp. And how many there are. But remember this theme that's building up. Right there, smack dab in the middle is the tabernacle, the presence of God. And if you can look around there, you have the different groups, the Kohites, Gershonites, the Merites, Moses and the priests that are all camping right around the tabernacle because they had such a service, a privilege, an honor, responsibility. And they got to be as close to the tabernacle as they could because of that honor, privilege, and responsibility. And that's what we've really been talking about. Please remember 1 Corinthians 14. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. All these details are in there for them to know who does what, when they do it, where they camp, when they break camp, what order they go in. You're dealing with two and a half million people. Imagine having no order. God is such a God of order. If you remember us building these points up to this point, is that he is such a God of order. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows when the sparrows fall. He knows when the deer give birth, according to Psalms. That's the God you serve. Nothing is ever missed by God. We talked about last week in Numbers 3, verse 37. And the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. That God down to the nuts and bolts knows every detail that's going on. And we talked about how in 1 John that he covers all of our sins. Aren't you thankful you don't serve a God that forgets a sin or two? Everything is covered, every detail, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. He's a God of details, and that's what the book of Numbers shows us. Keep that in the back of your mind as you go through these details here. And remember those two points. God is a God of order and detail, 
And this idea of these priests and Levites serving so close to the tabernacle, to the presence of God there. And that's what we are. We're called to be a kingdom of priests. We serve. Everyone here is in the ministry. So let's all remember that mindset as we go into that. So with that being said, Numbers chapter 4, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. Stop right there. Remember, we numbered the Levites last week from one month and above. And we talked about how they are now given to the Lord for ministry. And we talked about how they're given to the Aaron priesthood for ministry. And please remember, the Aaron priesthood is just Aaron and his two boys. There's only three priests here, folks, from millions of people. And we talked about these Levites. There's going to be 8,580 Levites that serve in this tabernacle. Stay in Numbers 4. Jump ahead to verse 46, please. All who were numbered of the Levites, who Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and by their fathers' houses, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to do the work of service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle meeting, those who were numbered were 8,580. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, time would allow us. I would love to take this idea here, this picture of verse 49. They were numbered each according to his service and according to his task. And take you to Corinthians, where Paul says that the body of Christ is made up of many, many parts. And every part is important. That the eye can't say to the hand, you're not important. The foot can't say to the eye, you're not important. Every part of the body is important. Now here's the problem with using this analogy. Certain parts of the body are more visible. As the pastor, I stand up here, I'm more visible than other people. So therefore, people have a tendency to think that the role of pastor is more important. No, the teaching of God's Word is very important. But yet the body of Christ is very, very, very important. There's a lot of other roles going on. Right now, we have people teaching your children. Once again, we have people that clean the church, people that lead worship, people running sound, people doing security. There's people all over doing things. Many, many parts make up the body of Christ. And all those gifts are important. So therefore, if you only focus on a couple gifts, you're going to really lose the beauty of this picture of the body of Christ. Book of Numbers shows us that every single ministry is important down to the nuts and bolts of the tabernacle. Please remember that. Now, we have to stop right here, though, because this is interesting. If you were a Levite, you would serve from age uh, 30 to age 50. 30 to 50, 20 years and done, verse 47. A little more detail on that. Go with me to Numbers chapter 8, please. Numbers 8. So what happens if you're a Levite and you're not 30? What happens if you're a Levite and you're over 50? What are you supposed to do then? Numbers 8, verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves should do no work. Thus you shall do the Levites regarding their duties. Verse 26 in certain translations comes out and just uses the R word, retirement. See, this is the interesting thing about the Levites in ministry. He didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm 30, I'm going to go handle the Ark of the Covenant. No. 
I'm 30, I'm going to go deal with the table of showbread in the presence of God. No. What we can piece together is this, that about age 25, maybe you entered in a little bit of an apprenticeship program. From about 25 to about 30. 30, you went on active duty for 20 years. So what happened at 50? You're just done? No, it looks like at 50, verse 26, that you still get to help out. You just don't do the physical labor anymore of things. That's something I'm starting to notice even for myself. I'm 42. I remember over the years, I don't know how many people in the 20 years that I've been out here, how many sleeper sofas I've moved as a pastor. I didn't know that was part of my job duties, but it is. I move a lot of sleeper sofas. Now that I'm getting older, my job is to call people to move the sleeper sofas. And I'm liking that job a whole lot more. It looks like when you reach 50, verse 26, and I don't want to infer too much of the scriptures here, so this is just an opinion I've heard many people state. Maybe at age 50, you kind of started working with the 25 to 30-year-olds. And saying, hey, let's just go watch them work. Let's go watch, see what they're doing there. And there was this idea of the older generation maybe helping the younger generation. These 25 to 30-year-olds were being taught. I tell you, one of the most beautiful things you can do as a believer is take a young Christian that has fervor and fire for the Lord and put them with the mature saint that has experience. What a combination that is. Because the mature saint looks at that young Christian, stops and says, I remember that excitement the first time I read the book of John. I remember what it was like to hand out tracts and witness. And then that young saint stops and looks at the wisdom of the seasoned saint and says, boy, I wish I had that life experience. It's a beautiful combination. This is discipleship that's supposed to be happening here. So, yes, you were on active duty from 20, excuse me, from 30 to 50 for 20 years, but it looks like from 25 to 30, you kind of started learning it, and then from 50 plus, you would go help the other people. One of my favorite things is when I see a believer reach what we like to call retirement age, and they don't retire. Sure, they may no longer be working a job, earning that paycheck, but they stop and say, I have time now for the Lord. Oh, I love that. Because this American mentality we have is usually work as hard as I can, retire as quick as I can, then go out and life as much as I can. You just don't see that in the Bible, folks. The idea is you are just to the end serving the Lord in whatever capacity he calls you. So neat example there from the Levites when it comes to that. Jump back now to Numbers chapter 4, please. So that's the whole 30 to 50 thing. Keep that little idea there of Numbers 8, 24 through 26 in the back of your mind. Now, we're going to go through these different groups here. The Kohathites, the Gershonites, the Merites. These are all from the tribe of Levi. They all have different responsibilities. Verse 4, this is the service of the sons of Korah and the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. Real quick reminder, real quick reminder, if you jump back to Numbers chapter 3, they've already described what each one does and the responsibility of each one. Remind ourselves real quick, Numbers 3, look at verse 25 with me. The duties of the children of Gershon and the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its coverings, the screen for the door, the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, and the altar and the cords according to the work related to them. They took care of all the layers there of the, of the tabernacle. They took care of that tent, if you will. Then if you jump ahead to Koath, Koath's job, verse 31. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. Elziar, verse 32, the son of Aaron, he watched over them. And then lastly, the Mirrorites. 
The Mirites, they had a really big responsibility as well. Verse 36, the appointed duty of the children of Marriott included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. One commentator I read said it would have been about 19,000 pounds of stuff they were responsible for. If you go back and read Exodus, the actual physical layout of the tabernacle, this last group, those boards that they're picking up covered in gold. This is some heavy stuff here. So, just a quick reminder there. So the Kohaites, the first group we're going to talk to, they're responsible for the ark and all its utensils, the holy things of God. That's their job. So every time they broke camp, the Kohathites would have to go and get the ark, the showbread, the lamp, the incense, the altar, that's what their responsibilities are. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, folks. Verse 5. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his son shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. So it's time to break camp. And remember, they broke camp a lot in their 40 years of wandering. Aaron and his two boys, because remember, there's only Aaron and his two boys. The priesthood was five. The first two boys died. We talked about that last week, offering strange fire. So now it's Aaron and his two boys. It's time to break camp. They have to come. They have to take the veil that separates, and they have to go, and they cover up. They cover up the Ark of the Testimony, verse 5. The Levites aren't allowed to go in and do it. Aaron and the kids go, and they do it. Why them? Verse 19, same chapter. Do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and task. But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. They're not even allowed to look at it. This is a huge responsibility. Some of you have a job that literally is a very dangerous job. And you have a lot of requirements to keep you safe. You have OSHA, you have people, supervisors, and it gets annoying, and it gets annoying sometimes. You don't have a job that if you look at it, you die. This is a whole other level of ministry. That literally in verse 20 is, we would almost translate to this, that if you even take a glance at it, and the original Hebrew, it's a really weird phrase, it doesn't translate over well, and it says that they should not go in to watch, means even take a gulp. So the time it takes you to swallow, if they even look at it like that, they're going to die. Aaron and his boys go in, cover all this stuff up. Then the Kohathites come in and they get to move it. Why? Because that is how holy of a God you serve. We have a tendency to forget how holy God is. He, I mean, he is holy. You can't look at him. You'll die. He's so holy that when you study out later on in the book of Leviticus, that when they go out to war and they make a camp to go out to war, this is in the Bible. It's one of those obscure verses. God says, I walk in your camp. So therefore, all your men soldiers, when you go out to war, you need to carry a shovel with you. Because when you have to use the bathroom, you have to leave the camp and take your shovel with you and use outside the camp as your bathroom and cover everything up because God who is holy walks through the camp. What a picture that is. And to think that now our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives inside of us. 
See, that's what was so completely life-altering, changing to a Jew in the New Testament, is to think that God dwelled inside of you. We're Gentiles. We just think, oh, wow, okay, that's cool. We're the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You go back and you read Numbers 4, and if the Levites even looked at it, they died. This is why there has to be a holy sacrifice for our sins, because we serve such a holy God. And I think there's a danger sometimes in us stopping and real. oh, it's just God. It's just the word. It's just ministry. It's just prayer. It's just salvation. It's just heaven and hell. It's the holiness of God that we're dealing with, folks. That's why one of the things that I asked you guys to pray about at the beginning of the year in the prayer sheets back there was learning and understanding the fear of God. Because when you start to learn and understand the fear of God, you can stop and you say, Lord, I, I get now to an extent what you're saying is that there is this holiness, Lord, and this holiness here is just so absolutely amazing that the Levites couldn't even look at it. Look how it describes the service. Look at verse 23 real quick. Just, I guess, 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, by their families. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service, to do the work of the tabernacle meeting. Verse 23, to perform the service. That word in other places in the Bible is translated go to war. That's how it's described. Working in the tabernacle as a Levite and a priest was the equivalent of going to war. Boy, can you imagine if we have that ministry mindset? I'm going to war in prayer. When I crack my Bible open, I'm going to war right now to learn more about God. When I do devotions with my kids, I'm going to war. When I go out and I'm going to grab my gallon of milk at Walmart, I'm going to war to represent Jesus Christ. I think it would change our mindset. Now, I never served in the military, so I always find it a little difficult sometimes with these analogies of war, etc., because I've not experienced that. But you can't get away from it throughout the New Testament. Paul calls Aphrodites his fellow soldier. Paul calls Archippus his fellow soldier. Paul tells Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He then goes on the next verse. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul is constantly saying, you're a soldier, you're in war, you're in combat. Ephesians 6, get your armor on, never forget that. And I think a lot of times as believers we forget that. Oh, isn't just Christianity fun? It's war. You know what, I'm just going to go pray for my neighbor to come to know Jesus. You're going to war in prayer. These Levites, when they would get this command and they would read that and understand that, they would understand what they're dealing with. It literally was life and death. It literally was going to war. It was this ice mindset. This is so holy. This is so important. We're not going to mess with this. Because when we mess with this, it's going to come back and literally take our lives. Look at the sons of Aaron who died offering strange fire. Take a look at verse 6. Then they shall put on a covering of badger skins and spread over the cloth entirely of blue that shall insert in its poles. It's poles. Why do we bring up the idea of poles? 
Because it says in Exodus 25 this, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Okay, imagine the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And we have a picture up there, Dustin, if you find it, you get extra points. Uh, We have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, and there's poles going through it. You put the poles in, according to Exodus 25, and you don't take them out. What happens if you try to mess with the Ark of the Covenant without the poles in it? Well, we know what happens with that. If you remember correctly, David had this great idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And they brought it on a what? A cart. And as they're bringing on the cart, guess what happens? Everything is bouncing around, and the Ark of the Covenant's about to fall, and there's this guy by the name of Uzzah, out of good intentions, stops and says, I can't let the Ark fall. So he reaches out and touches the Ark to keep it from falling. What happens? Dies. You don't touch the holiness of God. His good intentions do not make up in any way whatsoever messing with the holiness of God. If David would have understood and remembered what Exodus 25 says, the poles stay in it. You carry it by the poles. None of this would have happened. This is how important it is. This is how important the holiness of God is. So that's why the details are here. So you take it, you cover up the Ark of the Covenant there. And you cover it up with this badger skin. Some of your translations say goat skin, durable leather. But yet what you see, verse 6, is it's blue. Blue is all over the Old Testament. If you'd walk into the temple, you'd see a lot of blue. If you saw the high priest, he's got a lot of blue on. In fact, in Numbers 15, any good Jewish male has blue tassels on the bottom of his robe. Blue is all over the place. Seven, on the table of showbread, they shall spread a blue cloth and put on its dishes, the pans, the bowls, the pitchers for pouring, and the showbread shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover them the same with the covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. They shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstands of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, and all its oil vessels, which they shall service it. Then they shall put with all its utensils and a covering of badger skins and carry it on carrying beam. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth, cover it with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take all the utensils of service in which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with the covering of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Okay, God. All right, so you're telling me ark gets blue, ashes get purple, we got some breakdown here of what you want done on these different colors here, verse 8. And then in verse 8, showbread gets scarlet. It's all color-coded. Is that fascinating? It's, it's, everything is color-coded. Certain utensils get the badger skin first, then covered in blue. Other things get badger skin, then covered in scarlet. Other things get purple. Now this is where it gets good. If God is such a God of details, do you think he just sat up there and said, I don't know, cover it with scarlet? I mean, I remember when my boys were first starting to draw pictures. And they're like, drawing a house. Dad, what do you want to draw a picture of? Okay, draw a picture of a house. And they're like, what color do you want the house? And I would say, ah, uh, make the house blue. And they didn't know their colors, and next thing you know, the house is red. Okay, so, and that was just last year, and Elias is 14. But the point is... <laughs> Can you imagine, as a priest, you go in and you accidentally put scarlet where it's supposed to be purple and purple where you're supposed to put blue? 
that could be possibly a problem. So now we have to stop and say, why? Why is this stuff in here? Okay, what gets scarlet? Verse 8. Scarlet goes over the showbread. Showbread. Showbread is supposed to represent communion with God and man. They baked 12 loaves every week and the priest got to eat and this showbread sat in the tabernacle or the temple. And this showbread, once again, represented fellowship between God and man. Scarlet. When you think of scarlet, what do you think of? You think of blood. Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. John Corson makes a good point on this. He says, showbread, scarlet, it makes you think of communion. It's this beautiful picture there of the blood and the bread, this idea of communion. Okay, well then now we have to jump ahead to purple. Verse uh, 12 there. So then they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with a cover of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Now there's a couple things right here that are really deep, folks. The ashes have to be accounted for. The ashes. There's a huge altar where animals are being burned all the time. God says, yeah, make sure you grab the ashes. Why? Because those ashes represent a sacrifice to the Lord. And what are we going to put over the ashes? We're going to put purple over it. Now, when you think of purple, what do you think of? Christ on the cross. They put a purple robe on him. Ashes represent sacrifice. Purple represents Christ on the cross, the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice for our sins. And you see all these beautiful pictures coming together here. This is one of these things that sometimes I stop when I think about people that think the Bible is this man-created book. And I'm telling you right now, there is nobody that's going to go find obscure verses in Numbers and obscure verses in Isaiah and obscure verses in the Gospels and say, hey, I got a crazy idea. Let's throw in purple and scarlet back in the book of Numbers over ashes and showbread and then we'll pretend it makes a connection here to this. Now, only a God of details would stop and see that and see the symbolism in there. And so when you read a book like Numbers and you start seeing blue and purple and scarlet, you have to stop and say, okay, God, it's in there for a reason. And when I study this, I just get to those verses, I stop and I just chew and chew and read and read and pray saying, Lord, why? Why scarlet? Why purple? Why blue? Why do you want the ashes from the altar, Lord. Why? Why are you so holy that the Levites can't even glance at it? That, it, that the priests are the only ones to cover it up? Oh, I just absolutely love this stuff. So we have to stop right there because I didn't realize I've been talking this long already. Anybody have any quick questions about anything here before we go on? John. Amen. The responsibility, it goes back to what we have said so many times in our study numbers. The privilege, honor, and responsibility of being a Levite and priest is unimaginable. The closeness to the presence of God. But then you get into Numbers 4 and you see the seriousness of ministry. 
like you said, you know, we take, I shouldn't say we, I can't speak for you. I sometimes take for granted, as you mentioned, Hebrews 4, 6, that I can boldly enter the throne of grace. I can pray whenever I want to pray. I can worship whenever I want to worship. I can just, anything. This, this shows you what it was like in the Old Testament. It shows you a completely different ball game of what's going on here. Ministry was considered warfare. And that was the mindset that these Levites and priests had to have. And I think that's something we need to remember a little bit. Yes, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my groom when you study it out. But he's also the holy God creator of the universe. And no man can approach him in any way whatsoever unless you are made righteous through him. And it really reminds you of that. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah, Bethany. Right. What, the only thing I could find on badger skin, like I said, some translations call it goat skin, some translations call it durable leather, is that it would be a skin that would be soft enough not to damage anything, but solid enough to protect it as they're traveling. Because they are going over a lot of rough terrain, they're going to be out in different elements, etc., that it seemed to be something that was soft, durable, usable, in that sense. That's the best I could find. Because I can't, I don't know of any references to, you know, Jesus is like a badger. You know what I mean? It's just, I can't find anything like that. So, Kathy. The blue? Blue's a tough one. Um, the, the simplest way to look at blue, because like I said, let me remind everybody, blue was all over the temple. Blue was all over the high priest. Blue was on the bottom of the robes. Blue seems to represent just this idea of, of sky and heaven. I mean, that's what it seems to represent. When you think of blue, I don't know about you, I think of the blue skies. And it seems to maybe carry this mindset that it's supposed to keep you heavenly minded. Set your mind on things above. You know, scarlet's pretty straightforward. Purple's a little more straightforward. Blue is the one where it's harder to find that exact correlation. But it seems to carry a heavenly mindset when we think of blue. That's, that's the best guess I can come up with. Like I said, though, in the Old Testament, you'd see blue all over the place. Anybody else got anything? Yeah, Mark. It's interesting because I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree. At the same time, there's almost these verses that almost contradict each other in the Bible, but they're not. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay? But then in Hebrews 4, be diligent to enter the rest. 
Do you ever think that? In King James, it says, labor to enter his rest. Work hard to enter the rest of the Lord. And, it, it, and what you're saying there is there's a labor and a work and prayer and study, but yet at the same time, there's a rest in it. It's this really interesting combination of his yoke is easy, his burn is light, but at the same time, Jesus prayed to the point of sweating blood. And, and we just need to remember that. I, I think sometimes we do a disservice when we represent Christianity once again as God just loves you and wants you in heaven with him. Jesus said, count the cost. Are you willing to sign up for what this represents here? Because we're talking about this idea of, of ministry and this idea of work and service. I, I, I found this interesting. This is out of the um, ESV study Bible. Because so often when you think of uh, Old Testament, you think of like the Sabbath. They got the Sabbath day off. Or you think of all these feasts where they got the day off. As they're getting the day off, as a good Jew, you get the day off. These guys are working overtime. Just to remind everybody here real quick, and this is once again now the ESV study Bible, about this. It says this. You know, you had um, your daily sacrifices of one in the morning and another in the evening. On holy days, extra sacrifices were added. These chapters explain just what is required on the day. So, for example, if a Sabbath falling on the first day of a month, the priest would have to offer two lambs, another two lambs, two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, and one goat. That's a lot of offering going on. They summed it up like this. It has been calculated that over the course of a year, the sacrifice involved a total of 113 bulls, 1,086 lambs, over a ton of flour, 1,000 bottles of oil and wine. You worked a lot when you worked at the temple. A lot. And that's not including any of the sacrifices that came in just as an individual. Those are just the daily required ones that would build up. And I just think we have to realize sometimes when it comes to ministry, this is not our time to rest. This is our time to work. Heaven is our time to rest. And, and, and you know, we talked about the people of the Marites. And I want to jump ahead real quick to this because I think this is kind of important. They're the ones that were carrying the actual temple stuff. They were the ones carrying all the boards. Take a look right there. Jump ahead to verse 29. As for the sons of Mary, you shall number them by their families and by their houses, 30 years in a bulk. We've already covered all that. Verse 31, and this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle meeting. The boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its pillars around the court with their sockets, pegs and cords, with all their furnishings and all their service, you shall assign to each man by the name the items he must carry. They had work. I mean, these are the guys out there sweating. The Kohites... They wait till everything's covered. They come in, they grab the poles, they can move stuff. These guys are the ones setting up, tearing down in the desert, carrying up to 19,000 pounds of stuff. But now, check this out. Go with me to number seven. What happens in number seven is they now come to Israel and they say, Israel, you're going to help support this ministry. Verse 1, now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it in all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils that he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. So they're donating six covered carts and twelve oxen. I mean, it'd be the equivalent of someone coming up and saying, I don't know, I'm going to donate this pickup truck to the church. 
so that we could be a ministry of doing things. Verse 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four carts, four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merai, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Now, I just, I love these details. So the Mariites, who have to carry 19,000 pounds of stuff, guess what? Verse 8, they get twice as many carts, twice as many oxen as the other groups. Because God is not going to give you a burden of responsibility and not give you the strength to carry it out. He's not. So therefore, if you have a ministry at home, at school, at work, and you're like, this is too much for me, no, if it's too much, God will give you enough strength to get through it because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if the Mariites there wanted to complain and say, listen, we got to carry 19,000 pounds. God says, I got it. Guess what? You're getting four carts and eight oxen. The Kohites say, well, we didn't get any carts and oxen. No, you don't because you're carrying your stuff on poles. God is fair and just. So if you look around sometimes and you like to look at other people and say, well, this isn't fair. I have more burden than they do. God says, then I'll give you more carts and oxen. That's what God does. And if you want to sit there and say, well, I don't have as many carts and oxen as they do. Okay, well, then you get to carry the Ark of the Covenant right on your shoulder. Look at that privilege and responsibility you have. Don't ever spend any of your time worrying about what the other body of Christ parts are doing. Do your job. I got this phrase I use with my boys all the time. Peter, don't worry about John. If you remember correctly, at the end of the Gospel of John, they're walking and Peter's worked up about what's going to happen to John. So Peter's like, I wonder what John's going to happen to him. And so he's trying to figure out. And Jesus looks and says, don't worry about it. I can't spend my time and energy worrying about other people's ministries. That's a, between them and the Lord. I need to be faithful to the ministries that God gives me. And so therefore the Mariites have more labor. They get more carts and oxen. God is fair. God is just. I need to finish this up, though, because I said we were going to do numbers four and five, and I have three minutes, and i got to cover a whole chapter yet. So jump back, if you will, real quick. We've covered the Kohathites. They are taking care of all the utensils, folks. Showbread, ark, etc. Priests come in covered up, color-coded, blue, purple, scarlet, represents things. And then you have the Mariites that are doing all that heavy labor, but they get extra oxen. So then we did not cover the Gershonites. Gershonites, verse uh, 25, they shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle meeting with its covering, the covering of badger skins that is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle meeting, the screen for the door of the gate. Remember, they're the ones carrying all the tent coverings, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and the altar and the cords, all the furnishings for their service, all that is made for these things, so shall they serve. Aaron and his son shall sign all the service of the sons of Gershonites and all their tasks and all their service, and he shall appoint to them all their tasks as their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duty shall be under the authority of Ithamar, son of the high priest. So you see the order here. You have these 8,000 Levites that are divided into three groups. They all have their responsibilities. The Kohathites, they take care of the inside stuff. The Gershonites are carrying the outside tent stuff. The Maronites are taking down the physical labor of it. Aaron's son, Ithmar, is taking care of the Gershonites and the Merites, and Elziar is taking care of the Kohathites. And I don't have time and I guess you guys are going to have to go study this out yourself. I'll give you the references. It's absolutely fascinating. Verse 14. 
They shall put all of its own implements in which they minister there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar. And they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Koath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. You cannot approach God on your own. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot only through the blood of Christ. These are the things in the tabernacle of the meeting which the sons of Koath are to carry. The appointed duty of Elziar, the son of Aaron the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offerings, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle, all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Go with me real quick, and I know we're going fast here. Exodus chapter 30, please. Exodus 30. I want to cover that anointing oil real quick. Exodus 30. The detail of God down to the anointing oil used. The anointing oil on the priest, the anointing oil on the utensils. Exodus 30, 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself quality spices. And he goes through the recipe right there. 25, you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table, all its utensils, the lampstands, utensils, and the altar of incense. The altar burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its bases. You shall consecrate them, and they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priest. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. You can't duplicate it, and you can't use it for personal use. According to its composition, it is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on his on outsider, shall be cut off from the people. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. And what you see here is this. You're not supposed to go duplicate the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to go use the Holy Spirit for your own gain. If you remember correctly, Simon the sorcerer from the book of Acts saw the power of the Holy Spirit and went up to Peter and said, I like this, can I buy it? That's a dangerous thing. There's a danger in being around Christianity and seeing the blessings and saying, hey, I'll copy that. I'll go for that. I want that for me. It is holy and it's used for the utensils and for the utensils only. Elziar is in charge of that. And he's like, guys, this is not something we use as a little bit of cologne on ourselves. Guys, this is not something that we go just duplicate. This is for God and God alone. And I wish we had more time to really get into that, but I wanted to at least throw that out there to show you there the specialness of that holy anointing oil and what it meant and represent there and the special calling we have through the Holy Spirit. That obvious privilege we have of the Holy Spirit living in us and anointing us. Oh, it's amazing. So um, that's Numbers 4. So that means we'll get into Numbers 5 next week. My, my goal is to pick up the pace here on some of this, but there's just so much stuff in here, folks. I just, I just absolutely love this stuff. All right, it's after eight. Any final questions about anything here before we uh, close this, close out with a word of prayer? Hey, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Mark.
that is an important thing there about the oil. And obviously, you know, I, you're, you're referencing there Matthew 25, you know, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins there, this idea of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can duplicate. It's not something I can give you. This comes from a personal relationship with Christ. The promise of that when you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells in you. And it says in the book of Romans, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. And this is something where we just can't go out and toss our walk onto someone else. It's been said many times in many ways, God has no grandkids. You are a son or daughter of the Lord choice that you have to make. And you see that even back in the Old Testament, the importance of this holy anointing oil and the representation of it. You can't duplicate it and you can't use it on other things. It's for God and God alone there. All right. Hey, let's close. Let's stand here. Lord, help us to understand this, to grasp this. You have called us into ministry. We are all in ministry. Help us to understand the importance of it, the service of it, the work of it, the sweat of it, but also the honor and the privilege of it. And Lord, if you have called us, you have qualified us. If you have called us, you have strengthened us. You'll give us the extra carts and the oxen to do the work. You are good and do good. Lord, help us to understand the beauty of this and to look at this privilege, honor, and responsibility. And Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light and you are good and do good. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week. God bless.